Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. stand back and I know I'm going to get in the way sometimes. I know I'm going to complain a lot. I know I'm going to think I should be further down the road than what I am. But you know what? I'm going to give it all to you and I'm just going to trust you that you are making a poema, a masterpiece out of this mess. And he is. And that should be your testimony. Whatever you've come through, whatever you've done, you're never too far gone for God. This is one of the worst stories in the Bible. God's like, watch what I do with it. Although no one is perfect and everyone is born into sin, God is still gracious and forgives us when we call on Him. Today, Pastor James continues in Genesis chapter 38 to show you examples of how God chose to bring His Son Jesus into the world through a sinful bloodline. You'll see how Judah's eyes were opened to his own sin through events in his life, and that God in His mercy didn't turn His back on him or his family, even through the midst of Judah living to please himself. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 38 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. save you in one sense. It may add years to your life because, well, what? You're not being so dumb. I don't know about you guys, but how did I make it out of my teenage years? Like, how in the world did I survive? Because in that time period of my life, whatever mom said, I did the opposite. I don't know if that's how it works with all teenagers. I don't know. I got some living in my house. They're way better than I was when I was at that age, but I don't know what it was, but it was just like, mom says, hey, don't do that. Wait, Okay, in my brain, that just settles that I'm just going to do it. Don't do it? Okay, I'll do it, right? Like, she probably would have been better off saying, hey, just do that, just do that, just do that. And I'd be like, no, I'm going to rebel against what you have to say. Honor your mother and father. There's wisdom behind that. There's reason behind that. This guy's not honoring what his dad had told him. He's living this life of disobedience. He has this wicked heart, and God just just wipes him out. We don't know how, and it doesn't even matter. Who cares? It doesn't matter. If there's anything to be learned from that, it's this. Listen, um, you should you know, honor your earthly mother and father, absolutely. But if God the Father tells you to do something, you probably would be really smart and wise to do what he says. <laughs> Not that like, oh, he's going to kill me if I don't. Not that, but it's because of this relationship that you have with him where it's like, man, I want to honor him. I want to bring honor to him, to his name. So this thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore the Lord killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son, Shelah. It's not Sheila. If you're looking at it like Sheila, like, why would you name your son Sheila? It's like a boy named Sue, right? Are you trying to make him a fighter or what? Like, it's Shela is technically how you pronounce that. He says, wait till my youngest son is of the marrying age. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house, believing that what Judah says is actually going to happen. He's, it's not. He has no intention. He's like, wait, my oldest son, dead. My second oldest son, dead. For him, in his brain, he's like, what's the consistency here? Tamar, 
Like, both my sons have been married to this lady, and they both have ended up dead. Uh, There's no way in the world I'm going to allow my third and probably final son, in one sense, at least from that first wife there, he's not going to risk losing him. He's not going to risk that. So he's like, hey, Tamar, here's what we need to do. He's still too young. Why don't you go live with your dad? And when he's ready, we'll come find you. He's a liar. He's a liar. There's no intent from him that he's actually going to fulfill his word. He's just saying, um, you're like some sort of bad omen or, some, or bad news. You need to leave. Oh, no, no, no. We'll find you. We'll find you. Don't worry. We understand the right thing to do. We know that if we leave you on your own, that we are basically setting you up for a life of suffering. But no, Tamar, we care about you. We love you. You're like my daughter. I'll come find you when my son's ready. And as she walks away, he's kind of like, whew. Whew, glad she's gone. Glad that problem's gone. That's probably what he's thinking, okay? He's not a Joseph. He's not a Joseph. He's a Judah. He is a man of no character. No character. So then Judah, he sends her off. He goes on to say, for he said, this is Judah saying, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. So his wife dies, and Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. So this is a guy from the beginning of the chapter. And it was told Tamar, saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. She took off her widow's garments, covering herself with a veil, and wrapped herself. And she sat in the open place, which was on the way to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown. So obviously, time had passed enough to where it's like, wait a minute, he should be old enough to marry me now. Well, I'm waiting for these guys to show up, but they're not showing up. And so you tell me that he's old enough to be married now, and Judah's wife has passed on, and so now he's, you know, he's just going about his daily life and taking care of business. So she's got a plan, because she's not going to be left kind of to fend for herself in one sense. She has to have some insurance for herself as she grows, and so she's not left alone and destitute. So she takes off her widow's garments, these garments of mourning. She covers herself in a veil, and that's a common attire for temple prostitutes, okay? Because temple prostitution was a common practice within the Canaanite community, right? You go to the temple, and you can expect that there would be prostitutes. And at some places, especially we see in the New Testament, sometimes that would be female prostitutes and male prostitutes, and praise God that real church isn't like that, okay? Like, oh man, these guys have no idea what's going on. But this is what they thought. This was their religion. This is what they practiced. So she has this idea of like, well, I will just disguise myself as a prostitute. And she's going to set herself up to where Judah's going to recognize her. He's going to see her. And so he's on his way to take care of business. She wraps herself up. She goes to Timnah. She sits herself out in public. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, a prostitute, because she had covered her face, right? Because again, that was a normal way that they dressed or presented themselves. When he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you, 
for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And we're like, oh, yay, more cool Bible stories. I'm like, yeah, Father Judah is offering to his daughter-in-law that he doesn't know it's his daughter-in-law. He's going to pay her for sex. That's what's going on. And again, these stories, and you read through the Bible, and you're like, why is this in here? And you know, if I'm talking to my friend who maybe doesn't know the Lord, and the last chapter I'm going to recommend that they read is Genesis 38. You know, it's like, yeah, you should read 38, man. It's really good. They're like, I'm going to read through this and be like, oh, I got questions. This kind of falls in line with that story of Lot and his two daughters. You're like, these are gross stories. Why are they in here? Well, here's why. As we see this, so he's throwing this out there to Tamar. Turns to her, he didn't know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me or that, you know, you can hook up with me? And he says, I'll send a young goat from the flock. And she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it, knowing you're not a man of your word? I believed you once. I believed you once. You're not a man of your word. I don't trust you. So she's like, well, you need to leave me something as insurance because I'll take a goat. Because a goat, in that time, you know, that was a good thing, right? You could use a goat, and you can, obviously, it has some advantages to having one. She's like, I'll take that, but in the meantime, you need to give me something else. I need some sort of, uh, you know, credit card. You want to leave me with your credit card, your driver's license, something. You got to give me something. And he says, what pledge shall I give you? And she says, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. These are all things that would identify him. This is essentially his driver's license, that signet that's usually tied around a cord that hung around their necks. And they would use that. So if they're sealing a document, you understand how that works. You put some wax down and you take that signet and you put the impression there. And everybody would know that's Judas. Everybody would know. There was no denying who it belonged to. She's like, I'll take that, and I'll take that staff, because everybody will be able to recognize who they belong to. And you cannot deny, you will not be able to deny this story. She takes it as an insurance there. And so he gives them over to her. Uh, He gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. She arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on garments of her widowhood, back into the garments of mourning. In one sense, in this widowhood, identifying her that she's lost, not only has she lost one husband, she's lost two husbands. But she takes off the disguise, and, and she ultimately does become pregnant. Verse 20, and Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. So he's not going to take the goat himself because he's done, right? He got what he wanted. And now he's moved on, and there's no way in the world he would be seen taking a goat and giving it to a harlot because, my goodness, nobody could see Judah going into a harlot and paying this lady. Like, in one sense, it's almost like he's trying to be a man of morals. He's like, hey, I need you to do something for me. Um, There was a harlot on the roadside. Can you take this goat and give it to her and get back my signet ring and my staff, please? Because there's no way I can let anybody see me you know, making this transaction. Interesting. Now you have morals? <laughs> like, now you, like, now you're concerned about how people think of you and how people see you? It's fascinating. So the guy goes to find her, and obviously we know that she's already taken off and she's gone and the disguise is gone and all that stuff. But with her are still the signet ring and the staff. 
So when he had asked the men of that place, saying, where's the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said to this guy, his friend, there's no harlot in this place. What are you talking about? We've never seen a harlot. Alarms should have been going off in their brain and all that stuff. But verse 23, Judah says, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. Again, you're like, now you're concerned? Like, really? Like, now you're concerned about how you look? And usually that's how guilt works. But he's like, let her just keep them. No big deal. We're not going to try to find her. We're not going to file a police report. We're not going to do anything like that that will draw attention to ourselves. Let her just keep them. He says, for I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. Interesting. Your daughter has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. And Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. How dare she? This is nice moral Judah, right? It's like, oh, I can't believe it. It's like David. When Nathan came to him, and after David had hooked up with Bathsheba and got her pregnant and killed her husband, or had her husband killed, and Nathan the prophet comes to him and he's like, hey, David, let me tell you this story. There was a guy, a rich man, king. He had all types of animals and sheep, and he had, you know, whoever he could pick from, you know, he, he had, everything was open for him. But his neighbor was a poor man, had only one little lamb, he loved that lamb. He took care of that lamb. The king, the rich guy, went and stole that lamb and sacrificed it. David's, he's outraged by this idea and thinking it's a real story. It is a real story. Thinking like, how dare somebody be so cruel and so evil? That person should die. And Nathan's like, um, David, here's a mirror. Um, it's you. You're the guy and you know it. That's what he did with Bathsheba. And her husband, Uriah, he had him slaughtered. And here's Judah, who David comes through this guy's line. And Judah's like, he's outraged. He can't believe it. He's like, bring her out. Tie her to the stake. Let's burn her. How dare she be so wicked? How dare she do such a detestable and horrible thing? Wait, Judah, what happened to your two sons? Didn't they get wiped out because they were so wicked? Why didn't you say anything about that? Judah, where's your statements concerning your sons and their immorality? Where's your statement? Where's your outrage towards your two boys and their wickedness? Oh, now because it's Tamar? Because it's a woman that you're outraged by this? Sometimes that's what religion can do. And morality type stuff can do. It's easier for us to get so upset and so mad at our sins that are being practiced by other people. I mean, if I see somebody else doing something that I sometimes would maybe say, that's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. But somebody else is doing it. Oh, my goodness. What a sinner. What a horrible person. That's what Judah is doing here. He's like, bring her out, tie her to the stake. This injustice will not go unpunished. How dare she? How dare she bring a bad name to me and my family? <laughs> Wait, what? Are you serious? Are you serious? So Judah says, bring her out, let's burn her. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. She's like, oh, you want to know who the baby daddy is? You, you wanna, you're curious about that before you burn me? She's like, here's his driver's license. 
here's his staff. If you can identify these, then you know who the culprit is. He doesn't care about who the guy is. Isn't it funny how that works? We see that with the woman caught in adultery who was dragged out before Jesus. Where was the guy? Where was the guy in the story? Oh, well, the Pharisees used him to set her up to try to get to Jesus. Jesus is way smarter than that. He's like, where's the dude? Where's the guy? Yeah, she's guilty. She is guilty. Where's the guy? You don't even hear that from Judah. She's like, I know who the guy is. Doesn't even care. Doesn't even care. Of course, he doesn't even know it's him. <laughs> like, he's right here. He's standing amongst us. She's like, here's a signet ring. Here's a staff. Just in case you want to know who it is, who's the father of this child is. In case, you know, you're curious, this is whose child I'm having, I'm pregnant with. And she says, please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and the staff. And so Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Shelah, my son. And he never knew her again. So here's like this awakening type moment for Judah in his life as he gets busted, kind of probably in the presence of other people, because he's probably got the mob ready to go, right? Like, dudes are hyped up and ready to burn this poor lady. And she's like, oh, um, well, if you can identify who these belong to, then you'll know who the dad is. And Judah's like, oh, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Like, oh, oh, you were the girl. You were the girl on the roadside. He's busted. He's busted. And praise God that in his moment, now, this still doesn't speak a lot about him, but in this moment, he acknowledges it. He acknowledges that, okay, yep, you know what? That was me. That was me. You know, I should have given you my younger son. I should have given you my younger son. But he didn't keep his word. He didn't keep his word, and he wasn't going to keep his word with her, and he's busted. And praise God, from that moment on, they never hook up again. This isn't like some, oh, a beautiful love story, and they get married. No, 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 no. It's, it's done. She gets impregnated by him, and she's going to give birth. And it's through one of these twins that she gives birth to that, again, the line of Jesus comes into this world. It says, it came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. This is such a weird story. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand. So a baby is like on his way out. And he's like, hey, everybody. He's like high-fiving the midwife and stuff, right? Like, okay, so weird. And then they tie a cord, a scarlet thread around his arm, okay, identifying. Because somehow they know there's two of them in there. And I guess this falls within the family because multiples were happening all in this family. But that little guy takes his arm back in. He's doing the hokey pokey, right? Like, put your left arm in and shake it all about. He's like, he comes back in. And so they're like, well, and then another kid comes out in his place. So here's the twins here that get born. So she got the scarlet thread, bound it on his hand, saying, this one came out first. Then it happened. He drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly, kind of like pushed out, maybe by God. God's like, no, 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 get back in here. Boom, kick this one out. Like, no, the right one's supposed to come out right now. And that one comes out. This little guy is birthed right there unexpectedly. The nurse there basically the one that's there helping with the whole deal, says, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, the one who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zara. Okay, so this is the conclusion of this weird little story of like, why is this in here? The Lord is going to use this mess created by, and I'm going to read you guys a little reference here, but the Lord's using this mess that Judah's making some poor decisions 
God has already pre-selected him that he's going to bring Jesus into this land. And really what it should communicate to us is this. God can use the messes you create, the messes that you and I create, he can actually use them for his glory. Now, that should not convince you to go out and make more messes. Please don't do that. That's what Paul argued throughout Romans. He's like, no, no, you don't sin more. You should sin less because of what he's done for you. But just so you understand, in Matthew chapter 1, this is the genealogy of, of Jesus. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah, okay, and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah. Now, why both of those are mentioned, I have no idea, no clue. Why would you mention? Because no other twins are mentioned. You know, Jacob and Esau. Only Jacob's mentioned, right? And we know why Esau is not part of that. Zerah, why is he even mentioned in here? I don't know. I don't know, you can figure that out, right? But, but Perez and Zerah by Tamar, by Tamar, one of five women that are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. He's not Jewish. You also have Rahab, right? Rahab, we know her. We also have Ruth. And then we have by her who had been the wife of Uriah. I like how that phrases that. It's not going to call her Bathsheba. It's going to identify the fact that, yeah, David stole Uriah's wife. So you have Tamar, you have Rahab, you have Ruth, and you have Bathsheba in there. And then, of course, if you go down, then Mary is a part of that genealogy, Mary being the only one who is even Jewish in this whole story. It's like God selected these women to be part of the plan to introduce the Savior of the world. So if anything, I would hope that what we take away from this crazy chapter, if it highlights anything for us, it should be this, the grace of God the grace of God in our lives and what he can do. Our messes, he can take those things and he can do something in that, with that mess, create such a beautiful masterpiece of art that it should just blow us away. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your testimony because maybe you were a mess before you met Jesus. You're like, what good can come of this? Well, the best thing I've learned to do is say, you know what, Lord? Here's my life. I don't have much to offer to you. As an individual, I'm not that special. I'm not that special. And as concerning my life and my skills and my talents, I don't have a lot to offer to you, but I'm willing to give you everything that I have, my life and all. And I'll stand back, and I know I'm going to get in the way sometimes. I know I'm going to complain a lot. I know I'm going to think I should be further down the road than what I am. But you know what? I'm going to give it all to you, and I'm just going to trust you that you are making a poema, a masterpiece out of this mess. And he is, and that should be your testimony. Whatever you've come through, whatever you've done, you're never too far gone for God. This is one of the worst stories in the Bible. And God's like, watch what I do with it. Watch what I do with it. I can turn that into a beautiful thing. You just wait. He's offering the same thing for each and every one of us in our lives. Just trust him. Just give him that. And sometimes you just never know how that's going to work out. But sometimes it comes in a little form like a package like that right over there where this little thing shows up on this planet. And God's like, watch what I do. You have no idea. You have no clue the great things that can happen because of this. It's amazing. So my encouragement for all of us is, man, trust the Lord. Don't be like Judah. Don't be like his sons. And don't, please, just the grace of God is sufficient for us. And we need 
we need to just be experiencing that each and every day. Um, more grace, please, Lord. More grace within our lives. And He's so good. Man, the Lord's so good. Genesis is the beginning of it all. Not just the Bible, but life as a whole. God detailed his creation story in the first few chapters of this book, and then went on to reveal his power and glory in the following pages. We learn who he is through this book, what's important to him, and how he expects us to follow him. We're so glad you tuned in today for Bread for the Broken to learn from Genesis, and we hope you'll return for our next edition. If you'd like to listen to other messages from this series, visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd also like to invite you to come meet us in person at Calvary Galveston. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. to spend time worshiping God, reading verse by verse through the Bible, and getting to know each other better. When you visit, be sure to find Pastor James and shake his hand. Let him know that you heard him right here on Bread for the Broken. Before our time with you is over for the day, we want to ask for your help. Would you partner with us in prayer? Bread for the Broken is a ministry, and in a way, a mission field. We're reaching people for Jesus through a different kind of medium. And therefore, we need to make sure Jesus is our focus. Would you pray for Pastor James and the team that puts Bread for the Broken together? Pray that we'd all keep our eyes fixed on our Savior and be willing to follow Him no matter where He leads. Thanks for lifting us up in prayer before the Lord. Know that we too are praying for you each day. And thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' message on Bread for the Broken. We pray that you find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you.